You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. God is at work at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, all right? He is at work. And I want you to, to know that God's spirit is moving in a mighty way. But here's the thing. When God is moving in a mighty way, much of that work that is happening is behind the scenes. It's happening in little ways, in small ways, where God's people are serving and serving with gladness. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about here today. We're going to talk about downward mobility, downward mobility, the place of humility, the place of serving in the church. And I think you're going to see that God has a great kingdom purpose when we as his people are thinking downwardly, when we are thinking about prayer, when we are thinking about caring for one another. So what I'd like to do is I would like for you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. And I'm just going to read three of our verses for today. And then we're going to come back and hit some more of the story. I want you to get some of this story today. It's powerful. We're, we're drawing from a few verses in chapter 9 and a few verses in chapter 10. But for now, if you'll stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock that is God's word, I'm going to read to you the last few verses of our primary text today. And I think it gives you a flavor of where we are going. Jesus says this, and boy, this ought to get your attention anytime he says it like this, but it shall not be so among you. Now here in a little bit, I'm going to tell you what that so is, because we want to make sure that we're not doing whatever it is that Jesus is negating there. But notice this, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In this room, many of you are the ones who've been ransomed. You've received the gift. And now we need to ask the Lord what, what we're called to do to share that gift. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you will touch our hearts and show us what you want us to do. Lord, I pray that your word will just grab our hearts today and that we'll walk away from this place today on fire for you. Our hearts filled with joy and anticipation of how we can serve your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I want you to think about this sentence for just a moment. You are either stepping on people or you are helping people step up. I want you to think about that for a moment. We're either stepping on people or we're helping people step up. Now, I believe that, that it is good for a person to work hard and for a person to have some ambition in life to succeed. But too often, in our culture anyway, there is a price we're willing to pay so that we can be upwardly mobile. We are willing to, to compromise sometimes our integrity, our ethics. Sometimes, in, in American culture anyway, that's celebrated. People talk about greed being good and things of that nature. But I have a, a word from the Lord today that speaks in the opposite direction. 
that God is asking us not to, to think about even the life of our church in terms of how we can step up or be upwardly mobile. The world has, has a category for successful churches. Did you know there are people that, that measure the metrics and can talk about the churches that are really uh, growing and doing great things? But many times, those metrics are more about upwardly mobile kind of metrics than the kind of metrics that Jesus is going to give us today. He's asking us to think deeper and differently about his kingdom. And about what the church looks like. What we want to become here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church is the kind of church where anyone, anyone, no matter what their sin problem, no matter what their suffering may be, we are helping them step up to get closer to Jesus. And we will sometimes have to, to, to lay flat on our backs and let somebody stand on us for them to get to that place. But we need to be willing to do that. I tell my leaders all the time that we need to be agents of peace and reconciliation. We need to be bridge builders, but I often tell bridge builders that they get walked on. If you want to be an agent of peace and reconciliation, you will be walked on. If we go down and begin to be the slaves and the servants that Jesus is calling us to be, yes, there will be times where we will be frustrated. The world will look at us and say, you know, that's not how you do it. That's not how you grow a church. That's not how you are successful in the world. But friends, we need to begin to ask the question, if we are really wanting to be successful in the eyes of the world, or are we wanting to be successful in the eyes of our Lord? And if we will be successful in the eyes of our Lord, then we will become the servants of all. Some scholars have acknowledged that Jesus' words here in this passage diverge most completely away from the world's definition of greatness and success. It is in this passage that we find some amazing irony in chapter 9 and chapter 10 because basically Jesus keeps repeating. If you haven't noticed, he keeps repeating, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die for your sins, and I'm going to rise again. He keeps talking about his humiliation and his suffering. But in the context of all this talk of Jesus talking about being literally not just walked on, but nailed to a cross, you have woven into the narrative, the disciples arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Now, this is interesting. This should teach us something. This is not to get on to you. This is to make an observation about how easy it is when we start following Jesus and we start thinking about the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus preached about. His disciples heard that. You've heard that phrase many times. When we start hearing that phrase, kingdom of God, we start filling in the blanks with what we know from kingdoms in this world. But Jesus is constantly pulling us away from those pictures of success and he is helping us see that success in the kingdom begins with self-sacrifice and death. We are called to die. We are to be living sacrifices for Jesus. I've been thinking about it so much the last couple of months because it's so easy for us as we're thinking about our Christian lives. We have to build in Sabbath. We have to watch and make sure that we're resting. But many times we're spending so much time thinking about resting that we're not really doing the work of the kingdom. 
And God is calling this generation to be a generation that gives and sacrifices because that's what will change the equation and turn the world upside down. A lot of what I'm going to talk about today is truly revolutionary. And if you want church the same old way as we've known it perhaps for hundreds of years in America, at least a hundred years in America, well then, good for you. There's going to be plenty of options around. But for us, Ridgecrest family, I know that you're different in this regard. You've seen God move. You have a taste for the Spirit's power moving. And and I believe that's why God brought me here because I really don't want to just kind of uh, make it to retirement. You know, I talk to to pastors who are are nearing retirement and they're like, oh man, the first day that you can retire, you better retire because, you know, church will kill you. Yeah, it can. It's true. But, but I think that what we need to also realize is, is that any time that we're going to stand up for Jesus in any capacity, not just the guy in the pulpit, but even every single one of you in the pews, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But if we will have a servant's mentality, if we will say, how low can we go in humility for the kingdom, it'll be worth it. We need to become a sacrificial people. You see, the disciples missed the point. The culture had taught them that power was to be focused on a man who would go and be in a castle or in a place of great governance or government and and rule. That's, That's what they thought. But Jesus knew that another king wasn't what the world needed. Another king, like all the other kings, what the world needed was not a corporate tycoon or a a rich sovereign of this world. But what the world needed was a servant of God who would lay down his life for the sins of the world. And friends, he did that for us, but he also models for us the way we are to live our lives. We can't bear the cross of Jesus, but as I'm going to tell you in a minute, we all are called to bear a cross, and that, in essence, is downward mobility. If we long to turn the world upside down, we're going to have to let Jesus turn us upside down. We can talk all day long about worldwide revivals and and God doing great work, but friends, we need to be shook up spiritually. We need a fresh wind, do we not? We need a fresh wind blowing through the believers in America. We need a fresh wind that will reach to the far reaches of the world with the gospel. And that's not going to happen by us climbing some imaginary corporate ladder. It's going to require us to become servants of all. And that's my first point this morning, serving all. And I, and I want you to just underline that. If you're taking notes this morning, underline that word all, serving all rather than being served. Now let's go to chapter 9, verse 33. And here we have sort of that interesting, if not ironic, um, dialogue between the disciples and then eventually with Jesus. But notice this, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? Now, if you're a parent and your kids have been up to no good in the back seat, and when you finally get home and you say, hey, what were you guys talking about? And the kids immediately put their heads down and they don't want to talk about it. That's what's going on right here. 
But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. This sounds like an exact conversation in my back seat many times with my children. And he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And again, in your copy of Holy Scripture there, notice the word all repeated twice. And he took up a child and put it in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I mean, you can just see this picture in your mind, and it's, it's, it's a funny thing. Jesus and his disciples are on uh, the dusty roads of Palestine. They're on their way probably to Peter's house in Capernaum. If I'm reading this right and following it right, they're going there and they're having this conversation. And if you can just see it in your mind, they're kind of in a single file and they're walking a narrow path and, and walking along and the shepherd is leading his sheep, but the sheep are back there bleating. You know what I mean by bleating? One thing I've learned is as a shepherd, the shepherd do bleat. And not always is the bleeding positive, just saying. And here we have an example of sheep bleeding in a non-positive way. And the reason it is non-positive and non-productive is because the conversation is off the mark. Now, let me just pause parenthetically and say this. Many of our conversations in church are probably off the mark. We're probably many times talking about and worried about the things that God is least worried about. So we need to make sure that we are not wasting our time talking about things that aren't really that important. In this instance, we have these men talking about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And this was the wrong question to ask. They were completely missing the servant heart of the Savior. Now, let me tell you why they were. They were raised from the time they were little boys to think about the Messiah as a king like David. And so, in their mind, their cultural conditioning had set them up to only look for the Messiah in this one narrow band, and they weren't looking for him as the scriptures had revealed, especially in Isaiah 53, that he would be a suffering servant. So much of what Jesus has been talking about is perfectly in line with the Old Testament prophecies of who the Messiah would be. But because these disciples had been brought up in a certain culture with certain cultural conditioning, they couldn't see Jesus for who he was. They had mixed up their religion and their politics. It's a good thing we don't do that anymore. Yeah, let that set in. How many times do we do the same thing? we have, we have a certain lens through which we view Jesus many times. Um, it is through a blue lens or a red lens. I'll let you figure that out later. Um, we, we tend to make Jesus say what we want him to say and support our views and things of that nature. But I want to tell you here at Ridgecrest Baptist Church, we're just fine with letting Jesus speak for himself. We think what he has to say is better than what your interpretation is of what he has to say. And so hear me well. What God is showing us in this passage is that these men were arguing about who would be the greatest because they were assuming that the kingdom was going to be something other than what Jesus intended. They thought it was going to be a worldly power. And when there is a powerful man, a powerful person in in control, well, everybody is falling all over themselves to be the right-hand man, to be right there next to power. I mean, even in American politics, when you're pretty close to power, it seems like it pays off pretty good. 
doesn't it? It was that way in the old days too. Nothing new under the sun. You follow me? Nothing new. These men are doing what anybody would do in Washington, D.C., or for that matter, Jefferson City. It's just what you do when you're a human being. You, you know, you bet on the horse and you, and you follow them. That's what politicians do. But that's not what Jesus is calling them to do and not what he's calling us to do. Notice Jesus calls them on it. What were you discussing on the way? Now, here's something I want you to get. Jesus loves these men and he knows that they're gonna get it right someday. They needed a correction here. And I hope you understand. I know sometimes I can kind of throw a jab at you. I'm just trying to keep you awake most of the time, okay? I believe in you. I love you. I love Ridgecrest Baptist Church, but I'm not going to coddle you either. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to tell you the way it is, okay? And that's what I love about Jesus is, is because, oh, Jesus is so loving and nice. And then he gets a, a whip out and chases people out of the temple. Now, I'm not going to do that anytime soon, okay? I don't want to model that. But he's real, isn't he? He's serious. And he gets serious right here. But here's what I want you to get. Jesus doesn't tell the disciples not to achieve greatness, but he radically redefines what greatness is. This is important. If anyone, verse 35, would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Oh, friends, there it is. I want you, we should all want one another to be great in Jesus, but we want to make sure that the definition of greatness is the one that Jesus gave us. We want to be great servants of all. Did you see that? We want to be great servants of all. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. To illustrate the point, Jesus picks up a child and he embraces the child in a holy hug there in verse 36. And he he doesn't tell us to become like children in 937, but to open our hearts to children and those who are little in the world's eyes. Now, this is a a, a tiny little bit of data here. Some of you who are my more, I guess, theological nerds here with me, maybe you'll appreciate this. Well, you know the Bible's written in Greek, but Jesus and the disciples were probably speaking in Aramaic. And the word child here in Aramaic, which is a very obscure language, very few people in the world today even know it or speak it, but I'm told that the word for child is the exact same word for servant, And so when Jesus brings the child and puts the child on his knee, yes, of course, he is supporting children's ministry, okay? (laughs) Luke and Kayla, I'm I'm here for you, brother and sister. Of course, he's supporting children's ministry, but he's, he's telling us something deeper. He's telling us that the key to serving is to, key, uh, to, to care for those who are disadvantaged, those that the world just runs roughshod over, those that are being ignored. God's word is telling us here to care for the hurting. And the greatest among us are those who care for the most vulnerable among us. Therefore, let me say, I think it's, it's, it's logically correct to extend this to the church and to say the greatest church will be the church that cares for the most vulnerable among us. That's the definition of greatness. And in this last year, I've had to rethink this myself because when you come into a church like this, there's a lot of pressure to have great numbers, to, to, to have big offerings and to have all these things that the world says is successful. And listen, my heart longs for that. I wish that we could fill this room up three times over every Sunday. 
I, I do. It's not that I don't want that. But what if the Lord is calling us to a success, a, a, a picture of greatness that's so much more than that? I'm convinced that we worry about the wrong things. If we will start caring for the least of those around us, God will take care of everything else. And we'll have true revival. We don't need to spin our wheels and waste our time worrying about those peripheral elements. We need to focus on the kingdom of God. And love people as Jesus calls us to love people. We've been talking about loving our neighbors And I've thought a lot about that too. Because many times when we think about our neighbors, we think about our neighborhood. And often our neighborhood is filled with people of roughly the same socioeconomic status as we. They're often, in terms of of, uh, racial... Uh, uh, you know, things, they're, they're very similar to us. They look like us. They talk like us. Backgrounds that are similar. So often when we think of neighbors, we just think of neighbors in that sense. But I believe that God is calling us to look at neighbors in a totally, radically new way. Every time we see someone that we know is being oppressed and pushed down by the culture, by anybody, we want to gravitate towards those individuals and bring the love of Christ to them. That's what God's calling us to do. This is not, I hope you understand me here today. I'm really not talking about some new initiative or some big program. Let me show you really what I have in mind in terms of application here, what it means to serve all. Christy Schrader, who's right down here, wave, I know you don't want to wave, but wave, Christy. She's right down here. She is in charge of our frontline ministries. If someone comes on this parking lot, sometimes the very first people they're going to meet are those that are out there welcoming on the parking lot or welcoming at the door. Do you realize that most people within a matter of seconds and at the most in a matter of minutes is going to determine whether Ridgecrest Baptist Church is a friendly church or not? And it's those frontline people who are doing the hard work of being happy when it's like 20 degrees outside. Or, or when there's traffic and it's stressful. Listen, if we want to think about greatness, greatness starts in a place like that with our ushers, with those who are at our welcome center, those who are willing to do the kind of work that, that many of us take for granted. When you walk in church, you're, you're happy to have a handshake or a, a smile. That's great. But do you realize that lost person, that unchurched person coming on this property, they need to feel the Holy Spirit the second they get out of their car. Okay, And it needs to just keep building as we come in here to worship, as they go to small groups, all those things. But it begins with that little human touch. Another thing, and today we saw a baptism as a result of our pastoral care ministries. And Johnny Patterson, I would say wave Johnny, but you know where he's at. (laughs) You never miss Johnny. He's always here. Uh, And and that's our hospitals, nursing homes, shut-ins, and bereavement uh, ministries, benevolent ministries, all those things kind of tied up in that. You know, we are always looking for help. And just in the last few months, we have seen an exponential increase in just caring for our members who are no longer able to come here. I am so thankful that we do have uh, cameras and we can do live stream and a lot of our people who can't get out can worship with us. Even right now, they're worshiping with us. That's fantastic. But they need the love and care of Ridgecrest. And we want you to think about how you can reach into those lives and care for those souls. That's what I'm talking about. This is greatness. 
Greatness is shaking hands on the parking lot. Greatness is going and, and having a 20 or 30 minute visit with someone who maybe all their family and friends have gone on to be with the Lord and you're all they got. What a difference that makes. I'm going to tell you, when my little girl, when she was five years old and she, she had diabetes, a lot of people kind of avoided the hospital because they were afraid we'd be inundated. But that, what that meant was not a whole lot of people came. And the handful of people who did come who just said, I don't care if it is too much for him. I'm just going to break on through and go see him. Go see the pastor and his wife and his little girl who's sick. I'm going to tell you, it changed my life. It, it, it reminded me that I wasn't alone. Friends, we need this kind of love and compassion. Ridgecrest, I pray she gets uh, big and that we're able to have a kingdom footprint uh, truly uh, around the world. But we're going to get big only if we get small in this way and care for one another. I would say another thing. Kevin Keene is, is in charge of our finances here. And, you know, he does a great job. Anytime that you want to know anything about our finances, he's an, he's an open book and we have open books. The stewardship opportunities that we present to you many times, these are opportunities for you to make a kingdom difference. You know, I, I, as, as the president of the Missouri Baptist Convention, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm really uh, excited when I see a church generous like Ridgecrest. Because if you don't know this, I want to tell you, about 12 cents out of every dollar, we just send it away. Now, eight cents goes to the cooperative program, which is our combined Missouri and and SBC ministries. Another 4% we are using uh, to send people on missions and to support our global partners. This is a generous church. And one of the ways we serve is that we give. Another thing, and we're going to be talking a lot more about this, is our defenders ministry. And you talk about supporting a ministry that cares for the most vulnerable among us. In the next year, I pray, I pray if we can just get our house in order in every way, which we're well on our way to doing that, I pray to have a big announcement about how we are going to literally charge into the darkness with Defender's Care. We are going to be a people who are looking for the most vulnerable among us in the foster system, those who need adoption domestically and internationally, and we are going to care for those. Just like Jesus, we're going to put those little children on our laps and we're going to love them and care for them in the name of Jesus. I believe that's what God has called us to do. And a minute ago, I was supposed to, they had three minutes for me to talk about renew and refresh. And I just wasn't going to do it right after that song. But I am going to mention this to you now. I'm going to bring out a video here in the next couple of weeks. We're going to try to do that. The problem is, is I am terrible at videos. And so it takes like a hundred shots. Okay. Um, And I'm going to do a video and explain this in a little more depth. But one of the things I heard last fall when we first started talking about remodeling this room is, you know, we really didn't want to go in a lot of debt. So the elders sit down and and with great care and deliberation, because of the faithful giving of this church over the years, because of the wise investments like Remington's, which is now a thriving church, but also provided us an opportunity to get out of debt, we are already towards the renew and refresh idea. If we take it all together, what we've paid forward, uh, the down payment, so to speak, and all those things, we're already at a million dollars right at it. Now, think about this. If we, are, if we are faithful and continue to give, by the way, we're gonna have a commitment Sunday on February 23rd. Some of you have been asking me, what are we gonna do? When are we gonna really emphasize this? Well, on February 23rd, we're gonna have a time to really dedicate um, ourselves to getting rid of that debt, okay? Now, hear me out. I, I, I believe that God has had me in a holding pattern here because we wanted to do this the right way, and I think God's gonna give us the ability to do that. But, but the long and short of it is this, God is at work. 
And even though we haven't had a formal commitment, we've already seen some amazing offerings come in for this. And here's the thing. I want you to get this. I want us to get this in our rearview mirror so that we can, can then push out into the darkness. I believe we want to have this place ready so that when lost people come in, uh, we show them love and respect. We have a, a, a freshened up room. That's great. After 20 years, that makes sense. But we're going to start pushing into darkness like never before. But here's the thing. We don't want to do it with any debt. So we'll talk about more, uh, more about that coming in February and on February 23rd, all right? But here's the point. I wanted to mention frontline pastoral care and even stewardship because I think when we start thinking about serving all, we think about teaching Sunday school, we think about preaching the gospel, all of these important ministries. But ultimately, what I want you to realize is, is that God is calling us to look for the little ways to change the world. And if every single one of you will get this idea in your heart and your mind that we are to serve all rather than be served, we will turn the world upside down. Now, my next point, I'm going to make this one shorter. Don't laugh, but I'm going to make this one shorter. The second point is we need to serve and be serving with all who belong to Christ. So when we talk about what it means to be downward in mobility, well, there's a lateral element to it as well. And let me show you what I mean. Notice verse 38. So John, the apostle of love, the apostle of love says to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Now here's the irony again. If you think back into uh, some of our previous sermons in Mark, you've got John critiquing someone for actually casting out demons when the disciples of Jesus were having trouble casting out demons. So they're being critical of people that are actually being successful in delivering people from spiritual warfare. Remember that in chapter 9, verse 14 and following. There's the story. And, and what we need to realize here is that Jesus is really challenging us, Ridgecrest, the local church. He's challenging Christians in the local church to think about what it means to really partner for kingdom ministry. To change the world for Jesus, we need to think in terms of downward mobility and lateral cooperation. We need to be honest about the fact that there are other individuals and other churches in our area and around the world that are reaching people for Jesus. And where it is feasible, I think Jesus is calling us to cooperate. That requires us to be humble. It really does. To work with others. Many times an individual says, like if they're a carpenter or maybe working in a profession, they'll say, well, I don't want to have somebody else helping me with this because they don't know how I do it. They slow me down. Well, many times we take that same attitude into our church work. And what we do is we fail to cooperate. Here's what Jesus is telling us. The bandwidth here is not narrow, it is wide. We need to look for people in whom the spirit of God is working. And we need to watch out for this. We have a very human tendency to only cooperate with our tribe. For us as Southern Baptists, it's a little easier to do than other people because the Southern Baptist Convention has a ton of ministries that we could do. 
We could just work with the Southern Baptist churches in our community and, and in some way we would make ourselves feel good about cooperation. But I want us to think a little bit beyond that. The name above the door is not all important. In fact, let me just say this. Jesus is not inviting us to compromise our doctrinal integrity, but he is challenging us to look beyond our denominational blind spots. As Southern Baptists, we're going to have some blind spots. I'll tell you, I spent a a lot of hours on the phone the last few weeks because Southern Baptists in particular have had a blind spot when it comes to race. And African-American pastors in our big cities have called me the last few weeks, and we've been talking about this, some other inner city pastors talking about this problem. Listen, the only way that we're going to get better in reaching our urban areas is if we learn to cooperate with our urban areas. And we hear the concerns, and we don't make excuses for the past, but we make promises that we are going to love all people moving forward. We have to do a better job of cooperating. Now, I'm giving you that as one example, but there are a ton of other examples that I could give you about what it means to cooperate. Here, Jesus gets on to John because he has a narrow view of cooperation. Jesus says, have a wider view. He says, even just someone given a cup of cold water in my name, that's valuable. Support that person. Cheer them on. Go get some water yourself to share with somebody. But don't be a critic. The Lord is showing me lately that you're either a cooperative Christian or a critical Christian. You tell me which one you are. Let's shoot for cooperation. Amen. It's a discipline. So three quick things to think about here. What I mean when I say to support other people, we need to consistently pray for other gospel preaching churches in our area. We need to celebrate. I alluded to it a moment ago. We need to celebrate all the people that Life Church is meeting because there was a nightclub there not too many years ago, and now people are getting saved there almost on a weekly basis. We want to cheer them on. We want to cheer on our friends at Second Baptist and Crossway Baptist and many other Baptist churches around this community that have men of God preaching the word of God every Sunday. Some of the smaller churches in our area that are struggling to keep the lights on, we need to be looking for ways to encourage them financially and otherwise to do whatever it takes to push into lostness. We need to be a cooperating church that's constantly praying and caring for other churches. We also need to contribute to the ministries that are making a difference in our community. And this sometimes goes to parachurch organizations. We've supported one recently when we talked about the Pregnancy Care Center. We need to be looking for like-minded organizations and we want to cooperate with them showing that we believe what Jesus said here in chapter 9, verses 38 and following, that we take it seriously. And then also, I'm going to tell you, we need to cooperate with the Missouri Baptist Convention and the Southern Baptist Convention, not just because I'm the boss of that organization right now, but because... There is no other way that we are going to get 1,900 Baptist churches together moving in the same direction than a denomination of churches like that. And now, let me tell you something. There's some differences of opinion in the Missouri Baptist Convention. We don't always get along, and when we don't, we're always in the newspaper. (laughs) But for the most part, we have a wonderful organization that's trying to bring churches together. Let's be the kind of church that supports cooperative ministry. If we want to turn the world upside down, we have to know we can't do it by ourselves. My third and final point is this. We must serve all by way of a cross. Now, the passage I read to you a moment ago made this so clear. It is so clear that Jesus wants his guys to understand 
this truth. Now, what's funny is, is that in chapter 10, verse 35, it's almost like a repeat of these guys worrying again about who the greatest is. And this time it's the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And let me just say this. The reason why perhaps that they were struggling with this is, is because the, the New Testament gives us a picture that they were already kind of connected in Jerusalem with the high priest cast. And that means that they already had connections. So they were the kind of guys that were constantly thinking about who you know. Have you ever heard that before, that it's not what you know, but it's who you know? Okay, well, they were just kind of applying that. They, they wanted to know, okay, Jesus, obviously, we're the most connected of your disciples in the political and, and religious life of the Hebrew people. So between the two of us, sounds like two brothers, right? Hey, I'm the best, right? You know, hey, mom, who's, who do you like more? You ever heard that at your house? And I can always, I, God has blessed me so much because I can say to my daughter, she's my favorite daughter. And I can say to my son, he's my favorite son. Works out great for me. Now, if they're, they're both boys or girls, then, well, it's not so easy anymore. But here we have two boys that are asking which one's the greatest. And, and so Jesus has to get on to them again and remind them that they are not thinking correctly. James and John are seeking power in the wrong place. They could not fathom that the greatest power in the universe is in the cross. Now, I want you, as you look at that, I doubt if you're a believer in here, you're going to quibble with me on this statement. That the greatest power in the universe was in a cross. But I want to also ask the Holy Spirit to begin to prick your conscience so that you will begin to ask this question. How much of my life's activity proves that I believe that in my heart? Because a lot of what we do is not cross-centered, it is self-centered. And, and we believe that James and John were looking for it in the wrong place, but here's what I want to say to you. I fear that we are doing the same thing. We are looking for power in the wrong place. Jesus says down in verses 43 and 44, it shall not be so among you. And he skips down there and says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among must be slave of all. Think of this. You can't serve the one on the cross if you are seeking a personal crown. The crown of glory only comes to those who share in the cross of Christ. There's a story told of Thomas Aquinas meeting a medieval pope. I think it was Innocent II. And even my Catholic brothers, my Catholic friends would agree with me uh, that it, the uh, medieval papacy was corrupt. And there's a story told about Aquinas who was a simple, profound theologian, uh, a, a man who was a monk who lived that life of austerity. He sees the Pope counting out money. And the Pope with a smile on his face, and I don't know if this happened, this is told to be true, I don't know if it happened exactly like this, but the story goes that Innocent II said, well, you know... As he smiled, he says, the church can no longer say, silver and gold, I have none. Aquinas looked at that greedy pope and said, nor can she now say, rise and walk. Now, let me tell you the implications of that. The early church was poor, but rich in power. Okay? The modern church has resources, but it's often lacking power. And what we need to ask is, what worked in the early church? Why is the book of Acts so full of powerful evangelism? Why do we see revival there? 
Was it because of their methodology or the denominational leanings? No, it was because the power of God, the Holy Spirit, was working through every single member of the church, causing them to each consider the cross they were called to bear. Because if you notice in the point I gave you, it's not the cross, I said a cross. And I did that on purpose because Jesus is telling us that we all have a cross to carry ourselves. Downward mobility always ends up with a believer discovering the cross Christ has called us to bear. And if you want to know the terminus for discipleship, if there is such a thing, it is when you are carrying your cross. And if you have yet to find your cross, well, I don't care what your age is, today's the day. It's time to find it. It's time to be the person you're called to be. Later in life, John understood this. He wrote in 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Friends, have you been humbled by the cross? Have you been humbled by human suffering around you? Now, now, you don't have to say it out loud. But if you're humbled by the cross, that means you're a follower of Christ. That you realize he died for your sins. If you're humbled by human suffering, it just means you've got your eyes open and you realize there's a world out there in pain. But until you are truly humbled by the cross and truly humbled by human suffering, it's only then that you will preach the cross to unbelievers. It's only then that you'll provide gospel grace to the most vulnerable among us. If you are humbled by the cross, then you will preach the cross. If you are humbled by suffering, then with gospel grace, you're going to be downwardly mobile. You're going to pick up your cross and you're going to care for hurting folks, hurting people. Are you ready to be humble like that? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.